Welcome to the Binge Breakers Podcast. I'm Jacqueline. I am here to teach you how I overcame bulimia and my binge eating disorder, and how you can too. Through simple steps of mind management, repairing your relationship with yourself, understanding your habits, and intuitive eating. All right. Hi, guys. I am here with Rachel Evans, a psychologist, and she specializes in eating disorders. I found her on Instagram, like I find a lot of people on Instagram, but I wanted to bring her on because I think she's going to offer a very educated and uh, more in-depth view on how to recover from bulimia, and I'm hoping to get out of her some of the tactics she uses with her own clients and uh, how it can benefit you guys. So hi, Rachel. Welcome. Hi. (laughs) And tell us a bit about yourself. What, um, let me review this real quick. Tell us what led you to be interested in eating disorders and becoming a psychologist. Yeah, so I guess becoming a psychologist. I think I just knew that I wanted to help people. That's like, I don't want to be cheesy because I'm not that cheesy, but that's my calling. Um, And it's the only thing that I can imagine myself doing. But then when I was in school, I remember being in sixth form, so like the last two years of school. And I was in my psychology class, like we could pick up um, for our A-levels. And I just remember like looking up how much a psychologist can make. And I was like, oh no, like I can't be a psychologist. That doesn't make enough. Like my dad would want me to make more money. Mm -hmm. And so I did psychology at uni because it was like my favorite subject and it was a subject that I did best in. But I was still like, I don't know what to do as a career because I I don't know about where you are, but in England, um, you have to do extra training after your undergrad degree. So you've done three years but you still need to do extra training and specialize if you wanted to be like a clinical psychologist or um, like an educational psychologist or something, you need to do extra training. Oh, do you guys only do for undergrad three years of mm-hmm. school? And then yeah. I forget the whole school system over there. And then you have to do a specialized training. Okay. Yeah. And how long is that usually? Um, so it depends what it is. Um, so I did a health psychology master's just because I wanted to do educational actually. And I did like my work experience when I was like 16 in a school for children with special needs. Um, But then I did some volunteering abroad and it was actually quite traumatizing. Like the kids had very, a lot of special needs and I don't think I was ready for it like 17. Um, And I still wanted to do it, but I didn't manage to get any work experience. And I couldn't get a place on the course without work experience. And then I was like, oh, do you know what? Looking at what I've done, like my project, um like for undergrad was about blood donation and so that's kind of health psychology and I was interested in like sports anyway and like food roundabout you know just sort of going on diets um when I was younger so I was like oh I'll do health psychology masters but even after that you can't be a health psychologist in England you have to do stage two training which you need experience you need to get your own experience basically and then it's like again oh my god how do I do that So I didn't do that um, and I had a year working abroad um, as a research assistant but during that time I was like getting more strict about what I was eating um, especially like my master's in health psychology so it seems like I mean this isn't true but this is kind of what it feels like um that to publish a paper you practically have to say like obesity is the worst thing ever we need to cure obesity so here's my research about food and mm, the psychology yeah. of eating um and so I just kind of took from that like a really one level uh like not even understanding but of just like sugar is bad 
I must cut down sugar, I must eat the healthy, healthiest things ever. And also thinking on the other hand, I'm not sure if you ever um, felt like this, but like, if I want to be an influencer, if I want to tell other people how to eat healthy, I need to look like I'm eating the healthiest ever. And I need to look like that person on Instagram with like abs and like even though I have no boobs so that was never going to work out but like I just thought I need to look like those people and so I was like really became obsessed about exercise about cutting down what I was eating and obviously it wasn't the master's fault it was just how I took the information that I was reading and like applied it quite black and white um and I think as well just going more broadly onto my eating disorder before we get to sort of where I am today I was oh yeah so I had lots of friends at undergrad like I did lots of clubs I really enjoyed it like I liked getting a good mark in exams like I liked studying and so I was really happy and then I think when I finished that on my master's it was only two days a week and you couldn't really make friends with the people on your course and then my other friends from uni had like dispersed and my friends from school like didn't live near me anymore so I think I was like actually quite isolated and like I was living with my parents again just to save money so and also I stopped doing a sports club which was like a massive part of my life and I did training for that every day so I think all of those things that I was doing went away and so food could come in as a big thing to take up more of my time and like energy doing those things and then when I moved abroad I was well actually before I moved abroad I went out with a guy I thought he was really attractive. I thought he was really nice. Like we both like going to the gym and I would tell him, oh, I've done this squat. And he'd be like, oh, that's really hot. And so I was like, oh, amazing. Um, but I don't know if we can swear, but he was an absolute dickhead. And like, I thought we were going out because I would go to his house and we would like watch TV and hang out and stuff. Um, and then we went on a night out with him and his friends and he tried to invite me before, but I was like, no, it's okay, you know, I'll come. And he spent the whole time talking to other people and not me. Oh, wow. And I was just like literally crying. Like I called my friend and just cried all the way in a taxi to like her house because I was meant to be staying at this guy's house as well. So mm-hmm. anyway, then I was like, you probably heard this before, I need to get a revenge body. <laughs> yeah. And look like the best ever because that will show him. Um but in it's my very head, common in like relationships, either it's a revenge body or you just put all your effort into fitness and nutrition since you don't have anything else there just kind of how you went into isolation so like I'll focus on all of this yeah and I yeah I think it was very much like oh that belief boys will like me if I'm thinner and that's again very one-dimensional like forgetting everything else about your personality just thinking oh it's just how I look mm-hmm. um and then I got a job abroad and sort of went there after about six months um, because of like visa and all sorts but then I think looking back I think I had an eating disorder then but I just didn't know at the time and it was never diagnosed so it's a bit strange I'm not sure if you ever feel like this or people listening sometimes it's like you need that stamp of validation of like oh actually you did have an eating disorder there you can have that stamp and someone will tell you well it's almost like the missing piece of the puzzle right like you think that you're crazy and then to find out oh, you know, this is clinically diagnosable. Something was wrong and I just thought I had to deal with it. It does make it a little bit easier. Yeah, because 
I don't know. I feel even though I work with people using stores, I feel really strange about that period of time of like I was so obsessed about exercise. Like if I didn't do it, I would get anxious. I had to do a certain amount every day. Like I was very strict about what I was eating, and that caused me a lot of anxiety. Like I wouldn't eat the same thing as my parents if we were all having a meal together. And so I'm like, hmm, definitely more than just like going on a diet or picky eating or something. Mm-hmm. And I was looking forward to moving away so much so I could decide what I ate. And I wanted to be a fruitarian and just eat fruit because that was oh, like yeah. the latest trend that I saw. Yeah. Um, and I was living in Singapore. So it's like, oh, great. There's loads of like papayas and like really good fruit and all of that. But yeah, when I went there, I lost quite a lot of weight quite quickly because I was just exercising every day, eating fruit. Like I was eating a, a bit of other stuff, but I really wasn't eating enough. And Looking back now, I actually recently sent um, the professor, like the guy who hired me a message um, because I started talking about this on LinkedIn. I was like, oh, maybe I should use LinkedIn for like sharing. I think I'd never explained to him, like I would literally cry in meetings, like he would say something and I just couldn't control my emotions Um, like normal. And then mm -hmm. he didn't know how to deal with it. And so it was so awkward um and just a bit strange because sometimes his reaction wasn't what I expected as well just I think from cultural differences like I would tell him I can't get any participants for this study and like he would have a nervous laugh and I would be like oh this is so awkward it's not helping me and then I would like Mm. cry and it was and I couldn't like partake and enjoy things because I was always worried about food like exercising enough um I think I really did miss out on like a lot of traveling and things like that and even like this is how bad it was and I think I probably should have got a diagnosis just for my own like oh actually there was something of like I would just walk and walk and walk at a weekend like just walk and walk and I would go to a mall where I knew they did samples of cookies and I would go to get one but I couldn't even let myself get this like tiny weeny little sample of a cookie even though they were like the best cookies ever oh my gosh if I ever go back I'm finding those cookies because they were so good but like I was so in the restrict box and so like my dad came to visit and he was like right you need to eat more but I was really scared to even eat one more thing like I bought some food I don't want to give loads of examples in case it's triggering for people but I bought it and I couldn't even add it um so that went on for about eight months then I had to come home early because I really just wasn't doing very well like I was very homesick couldn't get involved in stuff um and then when I came home for about another six months I was really restricting and my family could see that was happening and they were like you need to go and get help you keep saying you're going to change you keep saying you're going to get better but you're not and Mm -hmm. I think I was quite depressed but in you probably know like some well quite often when people aren't eating enough you feel depressed and you've got the symptoms but it's not that you're separately depressed it's just that your brain is not getting enough of the things that it needs to function so you can feel quite depressed and anxious absolutely but if you start eating more more balanced then that sort of works stuff up so I did feel quite depressed as well I did start seeing a lady um a therapist and it was more just talking about things and actually it's funny since I've been a therapist sometimes I think about what she said to me like you were using that technique on me like I thought we were having a chat but you were (laughs) (laughs) like making me think about it in a different way um and then it helped you so (laughs) yeah it did help me and but I started binge eating then um so 
I was like just really cold and really hungry like all the time like really hangry like couldn't have a conversation around food and then one night I woke up and I was so hungry I was like I'm gonna go and get some food and I like made myself some food and I was so upset and angry with myself I just left didn't eat it I just left it on the side and went back up to bed and then I woke up again and I was like I need to go and eat that and I just describe it was like angel singing it was like the best thing ever and like my parents have got kitchen spotlights and it was like these spotlights were like this food and it's really nice um but then after that it was like something broke and I just could not stop eating at night like I would wake up and just it wasn't sleepwalking because I knew what I was doing but also it's like I can't stop this like my parents would be like why don't you just stay in bed or something it's like no I've just got to do this yeah, it's interesting because like I, I don't, I know people sometimes they, their binging happens at night. Mine would happen during the daytime, but I've always thought about people that like they get up in the middle of the night to binge. Because when I go to bed, it's like I go to bed, I do not get up. Like nothing can make me get out of that bed. But yeah. the urge must have been so intense to have to get up out of bed from your sleep and eat the food. Yeah, so it's because I wasn't letting myself eat it in the day. And then mm-hmm. probably, you know, like, at the time I felt so bad that I'd eaten all of that that I would eat less in the day so then you're just setting yourself up to do it again Mm -hmm. by not eating regular meals in the day and I think it was because that was the only time I'd say that I would let myself eat but then it was like protected like I would shut the curtains in the kitchen it was dark outside I would shut the curtains and I'd shut the door to the kitchen and it was like this is safe Mm -hmm. okay like no one's and occasionally my dad would come down but I try and be like really quiet as I was just eating like everything in the kitchen like so much food like my parents had to hide food because it's like I just can't control myself wow. and I suppose just like sometimes I would like drive to Tesco at like six in the morning because I'd eaten something my mum wanted for the next day and I was like oh my god I've got to go and replace that now I would do that and, like, I would steal my roommate's food sometimes and then I'd buy more to replace it for her and it's just it's crazy to think that you did that at one point you know yeah and I think it's really important to say because I think sometimes it's hard that we don't want to get into like my eating disorder was worse than your eating disorder I did this four times a week like it's not that no. but I think just telling people it's okay that you did this and this happened because it's like this what I was saying about the sort of automatic like I need to go and eat this some of my clients say that as well and they're like you probably think I'm crazy I'm like no I totally understand and that if someone just tells you, oh, just don't do it, that's not going to be enough, mm, enough yeah. to do it. So we need to come at it in a lot of ways, which I think we'll come on to um, later, but just for the story. So that was happening. And then I stopped seeing my therapist because I did actually get another boyfriend who is now my husband. Um, I got him after this horrible guy and he was with me all the time. I was abroad all the time. I was being hungry. Like he really saw me at my worst. But at that point, we just argued like every time we met up and then we couldn't really do anything like we couldn't go out because I wouldn't want to eat anything when we were out we couldn't have a nice time and so we split up like we were both sad but we're like he was like I can't keep seeing you and my therapist told me or we had a conversation kind of like oh why don't you just go and knock on his door and see him so I did and he practically shut my door in his the door in my face Oh, wow. And so then I fell out with the therapist because she gave me bad advice, <laughs> which mm. is not in hindsight. I'm like, oh, no, that doesn't mean that she's a bad therapist. It just means that 
she doesn't know him she thought that was a good idea maybe it would have been better if you actually stayed and worked through things because yeah. as well so then once I started the eating at night um then I would make myself sick sometimes because I had other rules like oh I can't eat dairy or something mm-hmm. and then so if I was so like couldn't stop myself eating something with dairy then I would make myself sick mm-hmm. and I think it's important to say which I'm sure you've said on things before actually making yourself sick doesn't get rid of it totally yes. like you think it does but it doesn't so that's one reason um not to yeah and real quick for those of you in the U.S. like making yourself sick just means the right out I didn't um sorry <laughs> no yeah it's a it's a different phrase thing I thought after talking to a few Brits and they'd be like I I would make myself sick and I thought that they meant you know just sick the whole day like they're just ill or something but it's like no yeah. it means it means that so that's what she means by that <laughs> sorry yeah. yeah that's really funny I feel like making yourself sick is like the polite way to say it like throwing up sounds a bit harsh in in, in English. Yeah. Like I was gonna throw up, or I can't know how to say. Yeah. <laughs> but you're right. It doesn't. Um. It's not the most effective method of getting all those calories gone for sure. No. And then what happens? I should probably say like you can become addicted to being sick mm. because it gives you endorphins, and also then I suppose the mental side of you think, oh, that was really effective, so I'll do it again, even though it's not as effective as you think it is, which is something that I didn't believe for a long time. But I was like, oh, no, no, it is. I'm, you know, doing this really well. Um, so actually, let's way fast forward. Um, it started getting more and more frequent. And then I started the first year of my undergrad. Oh, not my undergrad, sorry, my PhD. Um, actually, that was something that therapists did help me with, like looking to broaden out, like, what else are you interested in? Mm, yes. At the minute, when I came, well, at the minute, when I came back from living abroad I was living with my parents I was working for my parents because their receptionist had left and I didn't know what other job to get so they were like oh well you might as well just work for us for a bit and like I think my world was very small I think that often happens when people have an eating disorder mm-hmm. and she just helped me like look at the bigger picture like what do you want out of your life what do you enjoy you know let's get some other things in there yeah. too Um, So I started the PhD, but then it kind of shifted again. And then it was like, actually, what I found out later of like, being sick is making me feel good. And it sounds weird to someone who has never done it, but I'm assuming people listen to your podcast will, but it's like, people think, oh, why would you want to make yourself throw up? But I can't explain it at the time. It was just like a release or like... It's a relief, yeah. It's, yeah it's a way to get out of the consequences of what you just did no but just in the fact that it got to the point at the end that I would eat to be sick mm. like, about the food it wasn't like oh I'm not going to let myself eat this another time it was just like I literally don't know how to cope with being so stressed and putting so much pressure on myself that the only thing that I can do to avoid it is go to the shop buy a lot of food eat that binge on that food and then make myself throw up and then I feel too tired to do it so in the end for me it was like it started about the food but then it turned into like an avoidance tactic Mm. that's it's more common than you think and I think that's really interesting since I didn't struggle with that a lot so I'd love for you to speak more about it and especially like people that are struggling with the idea that they want to be sick or they want to throw up and that's kind of like they buy the food for that because for me it was always like a it was a habit cue for me so I would 
eat food and then I'm like, oh, I, I guess I have to throw up. No, I never really enjoyed throwing up other than the idea of that I was able to have some relief from the fullness and maybe not gain a bunch of weight. So how do you, how did you manage to get out of that habit cycle? I think it was, like you say, realizing this is a habit because I was studying about habits mm-hmm. for my PhD, but sometimes it's like, you know, stuff, but you don't apply it to yourself. And I think when I realized the reward that it's giving me and the reward at that time was I can avoid going to uni because it was quite flexible anyway. Like I needed to be in for a few meetings, but most of the time you could do what you wanted. And so it was like, if I'm being sick and then I'm really tired, I can't go to uni. And it's really strange because obviously I like the topic. That's why I was doing it. But I think it is really difficult to do a PhD. And it's like, you can explain it to people but they don't know unless they've done it. It's difficult in terms of like, they say, oh, you're going to be feel isolated. And at the, I remember being in like an introduction meeting and them saying that, and I was like, okay, yeah, all right, no worries. <laughs> but it's like, it's more that you know so much about your topic, but you can talk to people, but you can't because they don't quite get it. And okay. you want to talk to someone and you want some different help, but maybe your supervisor's busy. And then you're like, oh, well, what shall I do now today? But then the feeling of pressure of like, oh but I was lucky that I got my funded of like oh I'm being funded I should be doing something every minute of the day but now I don't know what to do and I can't take break which I kind of worked through all of those things but at the beginning it was like putting so much stress on myself and like I need to write the perfect thing and also as well if you write a journal paper and then it has to be peer-reviewed and then you're really worried that that person's going to be super picky or like not agree with you and that's another stress you're kind of like thinking about criticisms from the very beginning so I wanted to avoid all of those things and I think when I realized oh actually relationship with food is me is helping me do that um then I could look at it like a habit of like here's the triggers or the avoiding here's what I do the reward is that I get to avoid how can I change the reward so I suppose I kind of did it backwards not to avoid the trigger but to like change the reward so it would be Mm, I suppose it doesn't quite make sense but it was like okay so what I'm doing this for is the avoiding so maybe I could read a book like if I have my lunch and then I'll let myself have an hour at home to read a book and do nothing and that's fine right I think um when people that are bulimic or suffering eating disorder were very anxious people or very high strung and you get like you said before you get so consumed with this is your only interest and your therapist was like, you should find some other interests. And that's what I try to encourage people to do too. Cause it's like, they, the only pastime they have and the only relief that they have is with their eating disorder. And it, it not only is just the binging and purging, it's the entire relationship you have with it. Right. It just consumes your life. So I think rewarding yourself in other ways and figuring out how to do that again is really important. Cause as kids, you know, we were like, you would just go play outside or something as a reward, or you'd read a book or you'd watch the TV. But the concept of just doing that now is difficult for people. Yeah, and I think as well, it's, I would Google, even though I probably could have known for myself, but it's like, oh no, someone must have the answer for me. Like Google, like how to stop binge eating, how to stop, you know, bulimia. And that would kind of be like, go for a walk, read a book. And I was like, I would go for a walk, but I'd be thinking about food and what I was gonna do when I got home. Or I'd read a book and I'd be like, yeah, but I know I've got biscuits in the cupboard. And I like mm-hmm. the words. But when I decided myself 
that I was going to do it and I decided myself oh I'm going to try this or I'm going to try that it actually worked so you would plan ahead of time to do these things basically um so what I did which is in like my ebook but it's pretty simple so I don't mind sharing it's just like writing what made me happy every day and then by the end of the week or by the end of two weeks you can look and so I was like oh like it's really not funny but kind of funny for me or like clear things I liked I remember it was like going for a walk in nature seeing my friends I can't remember what the third one was actually I think there were like three really clear ones okay so actually doing a PhD is me sat at my desk all day not going for a walk in nature not having enough friends to talk to about it and that's when I think I was like okay I definitely need to be applied I don't want to carry on in research I actually want to be a therapist and apply this which is what I wanted to do in the beginning but I just thought that's not a good job (laughs) Mm. yeah so I think it helped me know what I wanted to do and I think having the experience then I knew what I wanted to specialize in eating disorders so I think that was helpful in a roundabout way I think you asked me another question about the avoidance thing oh yeah um I think the point was when you see what's made you happy then you can do more of that yeah absolutely I think um writing down things is something that's helped me tremendously but a lot of times you get stuck in your head and you think that oh I have it all up here right but it's just a jumbled mess and writing down what you actually want to do being having being brutally honest with yourself and then you look at your life and you're like wow I'm doing none of these things (laughs) like these over the PHA it's like I'm not even though a lot of people think that they need to have these grand goals for their life and they need to be tremendously successful and all of their hobbies need to be so astute or whatever like that but really I mean just taking a walk is a simple pleasure most people really they like or talking with your friends is something people enjoy so I think that's brilliant and accepting that those are just normal things that you should include in your daily life yeah and I think the pressure from other people as well though I was thinking when you're saying that was that's kind of one of the things there's never just one thing why someone has an eating disorder but that kicks it off as well just thinking I need to have my whole life planned out and because I don't I've somehow failed Mm -hmm. I should know exactly what I want to be and then I did this like personal development course thing when I was at uni and the lady was saying like some people know what they want to be so say you want to be a dentist or like a doctor or something and you know all the steps to get there and you can just take like a straight line up but some people just kind of go to here and then they decide what they want to do and then they go to here <laughs> and then people decide and then they go to here and it's like oh my god that's what I do and that's okay yeah yeah and I think that just made me so happy to realize oh do you know what I don't need to know everything ever because I think as well when you're young uh I would say like when you're thinking what you want to do for uni or you've come out of uni I think at family parties and stuff, everyone asks you, oh, so what do you want to do? And you feel like mm-hmm. you need this complete answer. Absolutely. I think there's a lot of pressure in your life to have everything figured out. And I, I think it all just comes from a projection of us, like we think that. But a lot of people, like you said, they're, they struggle and they don't necessarily know till here or here later on in the road. I mean, when I was a kid, all I was good at was drawing and being an artist so I was just like oh I'm gonna go into this and then years and years later now it turns out I have a huge passion for this instead 
And I would have never known that if I hadn't gone through the journey that I did. So sometimes just being in it and being open to learning about those experiences can be better. But we, we carry the shame around if we don't know for some reason. And that's all just in your head. Mm. Yeah. I think as well, like you're saying about the writing down, just kind of going back to that a little bit, like one of my clients, obviously not to say too much, but my, how I work is very focused on like, we're here to talk about the food and give you some strategies and understand that. So I'm not very much a like, sit down and let someone just talk at me and at me and at me and at me about all their life problems ever. Like, that's not really what I do. Like go and see someone else if that's what you want out of therapy. <laughs> um, but I had a client recently who was a bit like that. And I sometimes need to develop my skills just to be like okay can I stop you there but sometimes it feels rude and so I was just kind of letting her talk at me because I thought oh she does need to get this off the chest but at the end I was like okay so we spent a lot of this session talking about that you know this issue that you're having now do you want the future sessions to be talking about that or do you want them to be more focused on food and strategies and overcoming the things that you're like oh yes I do that's why I picked you I was like okay so then the next week I didn't ask her to but she came back and she'd written this massive mind map of like the key issues and how everything was connected and like she was asking herself questions on there mm. and that we were kind of answering and the next session was like we got so much like done in that session because it was very clear those things and she got that from writing it down rather than like you say just having it around in your head but sometimes you can't see how it connects or it doesn't make sense right yeah it's just a jumbled up mess in your head and it's just thoughts flying in and out but when you can see it visually and we're all a bit visual it's much easier to be like oh even if it feels obvious and even if you think you know it writing it down reaffirming to yourself that this is actually what's going on I think when you write it down it becomes real and it, yeah. it becomes very cemented that this is actually what's going on. I need to change. But good for that client. A lot of people don't want to put in that work and ask themselves those uh, those hard questions. But that's really what you need to do to recover, I think. Yeah, I like what you just said as well about um, when you write it down, it makes it real. Because mm -hmm. I was thinking, oh, I've had people on discovery calls that have decided not to work with me. And they've sort of said, actually working with you will make this real. Mm, and then yeah. I have to admit it's worse than I thought it was and that I can't do this but like you're saying it makes it real but then I can't remember how you phrase it but something like and knowing okay well we've got this this is a basis for change so it's not like oh this is real and oh gosh actually you can do something about it once you've got that understanding rather than just trying to hide it under the carpet right but it's not because it's something that's probably affecting like your day to day if not hour to hour yeah well, I think um, a lot of people, they think that these problems, I think it, it stems from the fear of it can't be fixed or maybe their fear of change as well because you get used to having an eating disorder in your life. It's comfortable to you even though it's kind of like an abusive relationship. So a lot of people don't necessarily want to seek help because they don't want to change even though they're miserable. And it's not because they're bad people. It's just because they're stuck in this cycle, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. and it's interesting to me that people said to you like, this is gonna, I've had that too, where like this makes it real. Or I've had that vibe from people where they're like, they're clearly not committed to what I want them to do. And it's just, it's just, it has to be their decision in the end, right? Yeah, I but, think that's the thing. I think that's why I do a discovery call rather than just like anyone just come and book and work with me because I want to know that yes. they're ready. Otherwise, not that there's no point, there's not, there is a point and we would be able to get somewhere, but. I think people do need to be ready, definitely. 
Mm -hmm. Well, and that's why I do a consult call too, because it's, you don't know if you're going to vibe with someone as well. Like maybe you just aren't their type of person and that's fine. Um, but I would love to ask you a bit more about, and I don't want you to give away everything in your book, obviously, but I kind of wanted to ask you about your clients and when it comes to bulimia, what's one of the main things that you focus on with clients that are suffering from this? Okay, I, I've written <laughs> some stuff down for this because it's quite a lot. And so I was like, right, I'm just going to talk for a bit and then I hope you will. <laughs> you don't have to share everything, don't feel pressure, but just something like I'm, I'm curious what you find. Yeah, so what I find, I actually, jumping to the end, find that the hypnotherapy that I do is very effective. If I can say that, as a psychologist, we like can't be like, I promise that I'm going to help you. And this is, you know, like, we, I always feel like I have to temper down my claims, but I have found that people, it has been very effective for people. So I'll come on to that at the end, but just other general things. So like we've already talked about today, understanding like the physical factors. So I think as well, sometimes if you binge and then you purge and then you are going to be hungry later, but often people restrict because they've had this binge and the purge and so people restrict. But then actually in terms of physiologically, what's going on in your body, your blood sugar levels are going to be all over the place. So you probably are going to feel hungry and then people have lots of negative self-talk because they're feeling hungry or maybe that triggers sort of another episode. And I think just giving people that understanding sometimes is really helpful yes yeah it's uh, people think that they're trying to make up for the binge and all the behaviors but really they're just digging the hole deeper they're digging digging that grave yeah, yeah. and I, I also find i try to encourage my clients not to eat as much sugar and sugary things they can obviously have a, a brownie or something but i find that um, raising that insulin level and then you know letting it crash really didn't do me any favors when I was bulimic so yeah I think <laughs> I do the same thing in a different way mm -hmm. um, so we talk about like having balanced meals and in a way that this yes. is not a new rule I make it very clear it's not a new rule just a guideline and something to think about so if someone was just having like cereal for breakfast maybe adding some like nuts and seeds or something or maybe some fruit um, so basically just complex carbs fats healthy fats um and like protein i think that's everything from like fruit and veg um where you can obviously we're not going to get obsessive about it but you know and explaining that's gonna keep your blood sugar stable and then like you said if someone wants to eat a brownie but then they're feeling a certain way afterwards just helping them take a step back and be like oh do you know what maybe why i'm feeling like this now is because i had that brownie and it's okay for me to have that but I can understand why I'm feeling this now. So maybe next time I have brownie, maybe I'll also have like a brownie with some peanut butter on top of something. Right. Like, yeah, so if we're getting into it, it's more calories, but actually in terms of blood sugar and how you're feeling, probably going to be fuller from that. And so it kind of balances out. So yeah, and your emotions will be all over the place. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And probably you do too, like about accepting emotions and that you might have been told certain things like, not good for you to get angry or you're not allowed to be upset or don't cry like when you're a child or whatever it was but actually it's okay to feel all of your emotions and sometimes that comes up as a reason that people don't want to recover as well not that they don't want to cover but like a sticking point of like oh but if I'm not binging purging then I actually have to feel those emotions rather than just blocking them or trying to um sort of manage them through the binging purging so obviously we work on that too um, emotion management 
Um, what else have I put? Um, yeah, like you, what we were talking about earlier, understanding it as a habit and yes. how to break the habit. So like we said, avoiding the triggers, um, either avoiding them or managing the environment so they're not there right. anyway, or if they are, how could we deal with them in a better way? Oh, sorry, I didn't know. Oh, it going. did I break up? Sorry. That's okay. Um, yeah, and then also, like I was saying before too, like how can we get a different reward? What behavior could you put in the place of binging and purging instead? And I kind of say it's like a trial and error because maybe something isn't going to work and that's okay. You know, I don't expect someone to come back the next week and just everything has been totally fine. That's not always realistic. No, I think a lot um, of people expect themselves to get better. Am I still breaking up a lot? Oh, no, you're okay. Okay, yeah. I, I think people want to, when after their first session, they want to get immediately better. And it's like, no, that doesn't, that's not how it works. And they don't, like, after their first failure, maybe they have a session. Sorry, my sound is, like, a little off. I don't know what's going on with that. But um, they find that after, like, one session, and then they make a mistake, maybe they binge and purge in between then. And then they just use that as an excuse to be like, oh, never, ever get better. And it's just this unrealistic, unrealistic expectation that they have for themselves. Yeah, and I kind of say to people in the beginning, you can keep it as an option, but we're trying to help you find better options that you yeah, know, like that. So it gets to the point that oh, I don't even want that option actually. Mm-hmm. You know, um, what else did you say? I was going to say something on what you said, but I can't remember what that was now. Um, well, I wanted to dive a little bit back into avoiding emotions because I, I practice with people a lot of like feeling your emotions. So I think that was a big thing that I struggled with. And what I see my clients struggle with is that they just, they can't handle anxiety. They can't handle mm-hmm. any of these feelings and how to feel them. I kind of talk about it as, about it as you just kind of lean into the emotion and you just try to feel it in your body and describe it as best as you possibly can and understand that emotion isn't going to kill you, right? But is there any things you can speak to on how to handle your emotions? Like yeah, so I think one thing on that, I don't have the exact journal paper reference for you, um, but it's essentially saying that our emotions are coming from the limbic system, which is like the midbrain and so more like primitive, if we're going to say that. Um, whereas when we, like you say, we try and describe it, then we're giving the control back to our logical brain or like the prefrontal cortex. Mm. And so actually then it's easier for us to be rational about it. And rather than just be carried along by the emotion, yes. we can actually stop and take that step back. So I think that's really good. I don't think I asked my clients to try and describe it. So that's interesting. Maybe I'll try that. <laughs> I kind of tell them to like, look at it and just say like, I'm experiencing this emotion. And if you can label it, if you know, then go ahead and say what kind of emotion, what emotion it is. But if you don't know, I'm experiencing big emotion. Thank you, mind. Because mm-hmm. again, it's kind of a cut off and it's called cognitive diffusion. Again, it's like separating out the being in the emotion from being able to look at the emotion. And sometimes I'm really real with my clients. I'm like, if you need to scream into a pillow and just cry, scream into a pillow and cry. Because I know sometimes when I was trying, like I was like, right, I've made the decision. I'm not going to binge and purge anymore. But it's like, I don't know, I could just feel it in my body that I wanted to. And so I'd literally just like lie on my bed and hug my pillow and have a cry until I just felt like it had gone away. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, sometimes... that's the experience of feeling it though, right? Because hmm. I think um, obviously 
there have been some things to show that, you know, if you're angry, it's probably not best to start punching things because it's, oh, yeah. it's just going to make you angrier, right? Mm-hmm. But um, with crying, crying not only calms you down, I forget what that is, but something about actual tears helps calm you, which is interesting. I but, was going to research about that, actually. And then I haven't, yeah. seen, I haven't either, but I've heard that, which is like, yeah, it makes yeah. sense. So crying can actually be a really effective way of calming you down in the long run. But I think we just think that feeling emotions is weak. But really, if you're able to feel and handle your emotions like an adult, then it's it's really powerful and you can do a lot of things. So I think, I think it's excellent that you say you have to experience it and feel it. Yeah, and something else I've done sort of just from this year in my sort of three months um package that I have is people get essential oils as well so they physiologically like you smell it and you think your nose is close to your brain and so has like a physiological effect on you as well and there is some science behind it but also just from my personal experience as well and from how it's helped my clients um like the ones that I buy have like certain emotions ones so there's one called like peace and when I was trying to write my thesis and hand it in I was like really anxious like sometimes I get anxious to feel it in my body and I would smell this oil and part of it might just be that you're taking deep breaths and obviously that's calming like activating rest and digest but it did genuinely make me feel better mm. and they're called console as well and a lot of clients like that one too and they say they smell it and they already are starting to feel better so I think it's just giving people a tool and like you were saying, they know there's something they can do in this situation rather than just being like, oh, I'm so out of control. I don't even know. I might kind of sometimes I thought I might as well just make myself sick now anyway. Like I've tried a little bit and it didn't work. So I might as well just. I think throwing the towel sounds a bit harsh, but sometimes that's how people think like I'll just give up yeah. now. Well, I don't I, I guess I'm more in the mindset of saying what it is, but understanding that that doesn't make them a bad person. Mm-hmm. So like it is kind of throwing in the towel, but it doesn't mean that you're lazy it just means at that point it was just too much for you and you kind of just chose to do this but I think it's empowering to know that and to be like okay I did this now what can I do in the future I really when I was going through bulimia and what I teach my clients now is that um you need to detach yourself from the habits that you have and the actions that you have because they're not you it's just something you're choosing to do right now it's completely different yeah I've remembered what I was going to say earlier it was do you also say that it's not failure it's just feedback it's not what? It's not failure. It's like feedback. Yes. No failure, only feedback. And so what can we look at that? And I've had a couple of clients who have taken that too literally about, oh, well, I did X, Y, and Z that day, so I can't do that again. And it's like, no, we're just looking generally like what <laughs> be different and like not labeling ourselves a failure. Um, yeah. And then when I was saying like, I was throwing in the towel, I think that's what people think. Obviously, I would try and help my client be positive. Mm-hmm. But I think sometimes at the beginning, definitely people's mind just goes to the negative. And it's about having those conversations every week about how you can reframe it as a more positive, mm-hmm. like empowering thing as well. Yeah, because you're not going to just go from zero to 100 and all of a sudden, you know, you once you know about all these things, once you know that the negative thoughts aren't really helping you and, you know, this habit isn't really that great and all those things, it doesn't mean that you're going to suddenly change. But now you have that awareness so when those thoughts come in, you can still start to build the habit of like, oh, you know, that's not useful. We think this now, or, or we don't really acknowledge those things and we're thinking differently about those things now. So I think that's, that's great that you also try to teach clients how to do that. Yeah. And then I guess other things that we would cover, which you probably cover too, is like 
I don't just spend the whole session talking about people's childhood, but just thinking about where did your beliefs around food come from? Where did your beliefs about the body image come from? And sort of going back and questioning those. Because a lot of the time as well, say if people have been bullied and never just one thing, but that changes how you view the world then. And then your other experiences are viewed from that sort of filter. Um, Sometimes people go back and they're like, oh, the bully, like she looked just like me. She was bullying me for being fat. But right. she also looked the same as me, so that doesn't make sense. Yeah, and she somehow was just it's insecure. A, um, I can't think what the word is, but I'm just imagining like the belief is like this. And it just takes all the foundations out of the belief and just that topples topples the belief of like. Uh, it oh. shows that it, it's so kind of irrational. Like it makes yeah. sense where it came from, but it also you're like oh, that's kind of stupid that I I built my whole basis of my thoughts around this that um, from this one moment of this maybe child that didn't ha- didn't understand how to handle their emotions either. It was clearly ha- reaching out for their own struggles, right? Yeah. Which is funny. Yeah. yeah. I, didn't, um, I didn't really confront or realize that I had any long-term beliefs about food till after recovery and mm-hmm. thinking back. Because, you know, there are a lot of clients I find they used to be overweight and then they were bullied for that and then they went into this eating disorder but um I was never overweight and I think people the people around me though while I I love my family and everything I think they maybe put too much of an emphasis around how I looked and 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 praising me for being uh, pretty or whatever not that I'm you know what I mean like they just would say oh you're such a pretty girl or whatever and I think that I took that as like that's I need to be a beautiful successful career woman and that's only thing that matters and it's like no (laughs) like you're saying with um with uh your one of your relationships you're like if I can just be thin then I can have the perfect people will find me attractive and then we'll have a relationship with that that's not how it works so anyway sorry this is a side tangent (laughs) no but I think when people tell you that because I remember as well like I was doing a lot of training in my first year at uni Mm -hmm. and I had my own room but I shared a bathroom with someone and I remember her saying to me, like complimenting me when I'd lost weight. Mm. But then I think how our brain works sometimes is then we think, oh, so I must have been fat before. And then obviously diet culture and fat phobia get in your head of like, oh, well, I can't go back to that now. That would be like the worst thing ever. So I've got to carry <laughs> on. And I was only doing more exercise because I was training for a specific competition. Uh, but it's like, okay. I've got to keep that up now. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny, your mind's like, gaining weight is death. It's like the worst thing in the world to happen to you. Um, and it's, even though I think after my after my eating disorder and everything, I chose to lose a little bit of weight, but I did it in a very healthy way, and there was no, like, self-hatred attached to it. It's very calm. Yeah. Um, but people, they get in, it's your brain, just it's that all or nothing thinking. It's black and white. It's like, now, you know, we can't go back to it. It must have been horrifically ugly before or something. That's no and I must have been a horrible person before or something like that yeah I think our brain takes one thing and then attaches loads of other meanings that aren't Mm -hmm. even there but like you say well because I'm in a large body now I'm a bad person like it doesn't make sense but some experiences or something's happened for that to make total sense Mm -hmm. and sometimes I say I'm not sure if you've experienced this but like when you're in the eating disorder your behaviors make total sense but then you look at it afterwards and you're like oh especially I suppose more the restricting um just in terms of I'll just tell the story because it's like my favorite story and I told it to a client recently like I guess why when I knew I had a problem with under eating was because 
like a few years before my best friend from school um who I kind of saw afterwards um had anorexia and this was when oh oh no you're okay just still sorry (laughs) it's okay very intense um and I went to her house and it was like lunchtime and she'd made the sandwich and so I was having the sandwich and I already had some food rules myself and like was like "Mm, I'd rather not have a sandwich but I was like okay I'll show her that we eat and she made herself a sandwich but she didn't touch it and I was like are you not gonna have the sandwich and she was like no I can't because I'm gonna eat dinner and I was like what well yeah you know like breakfast lunch and dinner Mm -hmm. and she's like no I can't I've got to eat dinner because my parents are going to be there and I just didn't touch it and it got to the point that that made perfect sense to me and I was like "Ah, okay that makes perfect sense now I, I know there's something not right and I think when I talk to a lot of my clients they kind of well hope, hopefully when they are getting better they can see that they had these rules and these things that made sense but actually now it's like it's obviously not but it's like your brain has changed and that just doesn't make sense anymore yeah well you can see the reasons clearly for why you were doing those things but now you handle them in a much more way a much better way because they offer more net positives in your life right it's like you could go back to doing those things but were they really the best way to deal with everything around you did they really make your life better probably not I think that's what thing that I was going to say not quite in this conversation but I'm going to say it now otherwise I might forget um just in terms of actually what you're saying about change being a long process it is and it isn't like I've had people with the hypnotherapy and the urge to purge has gone totally away oh wow and she was still binge eating then and we did that in a second session but she was just like it's just gone and I've had a new client recently obviously without saying too much but she was like I just made up my mind last month that I wasn't gonna purge anymore Mm -hmm. and she's like not even tempted which normally like for me when I decided not to it was very much like I want to be and then I would just sit on the sofa and watch tv so I wasn't doing anything else and I still wanted to but I just didn't and it was really interesting talking to her because I think sometimes we have to make it like the negatives of doing it are so negative I don't think this makes sense so for her it was like that she was really anxious and first the binging and purging started to make her less anxious but then she realized it was making her more anxious Mm, yes and that realization of like oh that she just stopped and so now she is struggling like with restricting because she still has like body image issues that we're gonna she wants help with um but I think it's like you know there's cons of it don't you You know there's negatives but for a long time they're not negative enough to make sure yeah I think um for people what I do is I have them write out every nitty-gritty detail of like how it impacts their life because when you're in the eating disorder you're like it just causes me some stress takes up some time out of my day and you know I don't feel so good like that's what you think but um when you write out every single way that it possibly affects your day like in terms of your relationships how does it affect your career your job your maybe your kids if you have kids like for me my whole life was falling apart because of these obsessive behaviors that I had and there was one point where I would be eating this meal with my boyfriend and who I've been dating for you know six years 
and I wanted him to just stop talking because I wanted to yeah. eat my food instead. And it's like when you really get down to it, like it, it causes, and like your client, she said, um, it actually makes me feel more anxious, which is totally true. It makes it worse. Um, but it's just that temporary relief, but then there's those net negatives that are way bigger. Uh, yeah. I yeah. think it's like, I can't stand feeling this anxious afterwards, so I am going to stop. And I think, yeah, I've had a whole laundry list of reasons that I knew it was bad, but I think it was only when I was like, this is the first thing that I think about in the morning. Mm. If I do go to uni, I'm literally thinking, <clears throat> what am I going to buy on the way home? And I can't concentrate on what I'm doing. Yep. I was really like, okay, I cannot have my life and every minute of my life controlled by this. Yeah. I mean, you see other people that aren't controlled by it. That's really helpful. Like if you actually talk to someone, it's like, uh, no, I don't think that way at all. I don't care about food at all. You know, they care about it to a healthy extent, but that's really helpful to be like, oh, your life must be so much nicer since you don't have this weighing you down all the time. And there's something else you said I wanted to clarify. Um, it can be a fast process, you're totally right. Because I see I see a lot of people and it takes a while, but then there are also people, myself included, that when you truly go all in on recovery, all in on making that commitment, you can recover very quickly. So I think that's that's really important. You said a lot of people expect it to be this long haul road and that's not necessarily the case. Yeah, I think some of the work like we talked about earlier with the work is getting to have a positive expectation of what you can do. Mm-hmm. and believe in yourself because as well I think when I was struggling I would watch like um YouTube videos and the person like you have to choose to recover and I was like I'm trying to choose like do you know they would make it sound so easy like it's a choice but in one hand it is but if you're not at that point maybe you need some help to help you get to that point that you can make that choice and be yeah. committed to that choice um I guess the other thing that I wanted to say is um why I decided to do hypnotherapy was because I was feeling like I don't know if you ever feel sometimes you have the same conversation for like three weeks and you're like oh I've tried my different techniques on this we don't mm. seem to quite be getting there um and so I just found that when we have the session so the kind of idea is like we do a regression so you go back to like what is underlying this and we ask your subconscious mind like come up with some scenes so that's like either a memory or sometimes people are like oh I'm thinking about when I was at university and then we ask questions and get more specific or could just be like a story or something and then we look like what happened in that situation but like what beliefs did you make so like beliefs about yourself like I'm not good enough or good things aren't available to me or like it's really interesting yesterday um my client obviously without too much this is so bored um could like pinpoint that the time that she decided that she wasn't going to be confident anymore and we went back to this and she's like, yeah, I was stood in class and X, Y, and Z happened. And I was like, I can't put myself out there like this. Everyone's looking at me. I'm not going to be confident. I'm going to be really shy. But then um, that has lots of other impacts in that then she, this is quite general for a lot of my clients actually, um, was struggling to make friends. And so that was like a, the eating disorder is your friend when you don't yeah. have the other one. So obviously had a big impact, but so we find those beliefs and then we sort of reframe them. But I just find that obviously there's different techniques I can do too but it's like it is explainable but it feels unexplainable that sometimes when people say something in hypnosis that they're going to do or you'll say right I'm letting go of this you actually can in a different way like I've had clients say stuff that they've said to me before in a session like I'm going to do this and then the next day they message me like oh 
I've done that thing now, like really excited about doing it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, how does it make such a difference? But it just does. <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating. I don't do hypnotherapy. So I'm really, that's intriguing that that is so effective. I might have to look into that and see if I can do something yeah. like that with my clients. And I think as well, people have a lot of misconceptions, like they think I'm going to be out of control or I'm not going to remember yes. what happened, but it practically feels like a conversation with your eyes shut and you just feel really relaxed. But sometimes people can get answers that either you wouldn't have allowed yourself to get if we were just talking in the session. No, because you um, either you second guess yourself or you just bury things kind of in the deep of your mind, whatever. It's it's very easy to just silence those thoughts. Yeah, and it's also really interesting that sometimes people go back to stuff that you wouldn't have thought was related. Yeah. And then it turns out to be, so sometimes, so we usually do about three or four scenes and then we link those together and look at the beliefs um, that people have made. But do you know when it's the first one, they're like, I can't think of an example for you, that's too general, but it's just like, oh, am I doing this right? Like what? Oh, that doesn't make sense but then it doesn't make perfect sense when we've looked at all the other experiences in someone's life and sort of how that shaped even just like we say their confidence or their personality or something else that was like I don't know so, just chipping away at your self-worth as well a lot of the time yeah absolutely um I hate to cut it short because I'm oh, no, you've been great. I really appreciate all how prepared, how prepared you were and also how many little things that you shared, not only about your story. I know it's like, it's a very vulnerable position to talk about your own experience, but I think it's really helpful for people to listen to because it makes them feel less isolated, less crazy. And then also all the tips that you shared about your own clients um, and how you help them. I just want to share one more thing. If that's sure, okay. go ahead. Yeah. Quickly, that um, I've written on the bottom of this page, like, you deserve to recover the person listening you deserve to recover because really breaks my heart a lot of clients say like I don't think I deserve to eat nice things or I don't think I deserve to treat myself kindly and that really is so fundamental if you don't believe that you deserve to recover then it's going to be harder for you too and you definitely do just just that that everyone is valuable just for being you and I think sometimes that takes a while to sink in but it's true yeah, I, I love that you edited it that way because I, I have a, client, a lot of clients too that, you know, they, they've neglected themselves so much because they think that they're not worth it and that it's selfish somehow to spend time on themselves when really when you give to yourself and you afford to give to other people. I had a client that, like, she just didn't even like the idea of using lotion just because she felt like it was hard to touch her own skin and then she also felt yeah. like she didn't feel it felt luxurious to her and like she didn't deserve that so it, it breaks my heart too and everyone everyone deserves that every living creature deserves that so firmly believe that um so before you go where is the best where's the best place for people to find you um yeah so my instagram which i guess is going to be tagged in this if it's yeah. <laughs> um, on your instagram but it's just rachel just tl dot evans phd and then my website is eatingdisordertherapist.co.uk but sometimes people can't find me because I just did my website recently and sometimes it doesn't come up so that's quite unfortunate but that's awesome that you got yeah, when, when I type into google Rachel Evans eating disorder therapist then mm -hmm. it comes up for sure oh, does it? That's good. Yeah, it does yeah um also your url is really convenient like that's an awesome 
it's a very I feel like expensive URL because it's very blunt and tells exactly what people are looking for so it's awesome to get a hold of that URL yeah I was like because that's should I do my name that's a whole nother side isn't it when you get your own business and then you have to start uh, thinking about all these things that I was like just go for it (laughs) just keep on going you can always change things later and hopefully you have more money to do that (laughs) Um, but uh, also you have a five-day mini uh challenge can you tell us a bit more about that yes so it's kind of helping you well the aim is to help you get a breakthrough and like we already talked about now what are these what is your eating disorder costing you Mm -hmm. so like you said that you can have a nice meal with your boyfriend and I've had the same thing like when I've been on holiday and I was I knew my uh boyfriend now husband was going to go cycling one day and I was literally counting down until I could have a binge and purge like when he had gone yeah and I want to be by the pool like having a nice time so really thinking about what's it costing you but also thinking about what is it giving you like we said in terms of the habit and the rewards and then the next step is kind of like okay from I can see that how could I get those rewards differently or what are the first steps that I can start to take to like unpick this um and just walking you through that and also um for people that listening to this from 17th August so next Monday in my Facebook group um we're going to be going through that because I think sometimes it's hard to think of the answers for yourself yeah. like you know you hit a wall after like you've thought of two things that actually if you really thought about it there's like 20 Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to go through that and then I guess if someone's listening to this in like a year or so it's going to be there in the Facebook group it's not going to be live every day but you can at least go back and look what other people have said or get an idea from that as well yeah absolutely I mean even if they're not if they're listening to a video from now they can still find you and I'm sure you'll have different resources available by then so yeah thank you so much for being on here I really appreciate it Hey guys, I hope that you enjoyed that interview with Rachel. She was quite a lovely gal to interview, very personable. All of her information will be down below. You can find her on Instagram and her website will both be linked in the show notes. So go find those, show her some love, and thanks for listening. I'll see you guys next week. Bye. I'm